like when you meet someone that you really like, there's a tiny part of you that does that. Right. You want to kill them? No, that like oh. you want to go to their house and propose to them. Oh. <laughs> but but like um I hope she's not listening, King. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to Snubbed. Welcome back. What up? <laughs> <laughs> it's been quite a minute. Yeah, full S year. This is Franklin, if and, you forgot. And Hi. This, and this is Nick, in case you... How could you forget, right? I don't know. And then, if you did forget about the other one, that's Jonathan, and he's not here with us anymore. Jonathan's not here with us anymore. He is trying to get a film in Sundance, so we'll let you know... How that goes. Exactly. But he's a little busy, and that's fine. And that's busy. Uh, and that's fine. <laughs> that's also that's busy. <laughs> But um, right now, we uh, we have some big updates to the podcast, a lot of new personnel. First, we have our producer. Nicole Guillen. She's on the pod right now. She's sadly not here. She had to go home. Our university, where we are, uh, sent everybody home, and Nicole jumped ship. She's back in L.A. <laughs> where it's obviously safer. Yep, but she's on a Google call with us right now. Nicole, say hi. Hope the mic picked that up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and um, secondly, we have an editor. This huge ass truck outside. Now, secondly, we have uh, a new audio editor named Avinash Patel. Hey, and then he can put his own little like thing here. We'll just be quiet for a second. Stinky. Uh oh. Should we give docs them by giving everybody their last name? Because we oh, never fuck. gave our last names. Oh, oh no. We'll just no. We'll just keep quiet. All right, so um, we get a lot of big updates with the film community right now. It's oh, getting hit pretty hard with um, getting hit pretty hard with COVID with coronavirus. Um, yeah. but first we just um want to start off on a little bit of a more serious note because this is a really strange time. Um, nothing like this has ever happened in our generation. That's true. Nor previous generations. Yeah. Um, just to give a fair warning to people, make sure that, um, you're educated on what's going on. Um, uh, make sure you're washing your hands. You know, you probably heard this a thousand times by now as yeah. we're going to be like three weeks into the crisis. Yeah. Make sure you're washing your hands, limit your contact with other people. Please practice social distancing. Yeah. Go to, that just means don't go outside if it's not necessary. Go to outside for work. If you need yeah. to go on a run, stay six feet yeah. away. Don't from try people. to prove how many friends you have right now. That's not really what we're doing. Don't do that. Don't post old <laughs> photos on your Instagram about better times because then people are going to go outside. Yeah. Just stay inside. Yeah. No, don't meet up and then dress as Smurfs in a huge convention and just like sneeze blue dust on each other. Don't right. do that. That's such a specific example. Because they did that. Who was that? They have an annual Smurf convention every year in like some European city. I don't know if it's like in France or what, but like they just decided to also do it this year because how can you not? Smurfs are great. I would never quit SmurfCon. <laughs> I wonder how many people went as the villain, like uh, Garugamesh <laughs> or whatever his name is. Your job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just uh, just a friendly reminder, um, because it's really easy to think you can go outside and kind of do anything right now because work's canceled. A lot of people aren't want working on film sets, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, this isn't really for you, the young listener that we're marketing towards. Yeah. This is for your grandparents, my grandparents, Franklin's grandparents. Nicole and Avinash's grandparents, just those five people. <laughs> but for real, it's for the it's for the elderly. Let's not kill them. Um, yeah. 
on to I guess we can move on to industry news and what's been happening with this because there's been actually yeah. a lot so, of effects, Franklin. Yeah, so just like our school is shut down, everything is shut down. <laughs> they closed down South by Southwest, which really just like fucked over a lot of uh, indie filmmakers who were hoping to, you know, get out there, get their film, get their uh, film distributed. Seen, get their film seen by distributors. Yeah. I mean, South by Southwest... Um, all these big festivals, Tribeca being postponed, it, it's so huge for these people in terms of, you know, making their money back. Yeah. Because these indie filmmakers have investors that, you know, they, they want to see a return on them. <laughs> yeah. And if they're not getting distributed, no one's going to see them, period. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe they're, I, I'm just feeling with all these postponements. I mean, cons th- considering it. Uh, no, they just announced that they're postponing. That was that. Oh, they just announced it. Yeah, today. Yeah, today, like a few hours ago, I looked at it. Oh, okay. And they're announcing until June, I think, because usually it's in May. They're looking at some June dates. Yeah, I'm not sure about Tribeca though. They're they're still calling it postponed, but they haven't talked about like any um, makeup dates or anything like that. That's interesting. I mean, it, it just feels like the industry needs to find way around this i don't know exactly what it is but there's a lot of other industries being hit by this right now the music industry all artists mm-hmm. are losing touring revenue right it's horrible um really horrible what's going going on do you think that this kind of thing is gonna change how we work with media in this kind of like aspect like how important it is because like right now it's obviously showing a kind of reliance on like in-person meetings and coming out and like doing stuff like face-to-face which is like which is great and i love that right conventions are awesome and they're fun concerts are fun but there seems to be like a heavy reliance on it and now that like we're not allowed to do that or we shouldn't do that anymore do you think there's going to be some kind of industry change in either music or film that like um in the future will act as kind of like a safety net if anything like this happens again yeah i mean there's got to be a backup plan now um <laughs> i mean especially just where the economy is going people are mm. gonna, people are gonna have to have a backup um i think there's a lot of people that are really frustrated with the norm of film festivals in terms of distribution because it's not it's not a fair system by any means it's uh it's it's a tried and tested system um but that doesn't mean it's fair exactly so what do you mean by like the film festival system um, well, it's just like, I mean, some films, they do really well, They but they might, I mean, they might be like really good films, but they might not get into Sundance. They might not be able to get a screening there. Right. Um, I know, for example, there's a director from LA, Mikey Alfred. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of my favorite young directors right now. He's 23. He just directed his first feature starring Vince Vaughn, uh, Miranda Cosgrove, Ryder yeah, McLaughlin, yeah, yeah. a couple of the mid nineties boys, a lot yeah. of skaters. He's an old skater himself. You know, he used to be a Tyler creator Odd future. Um, as a filmer, as a filmer for concerts, Frank Ocean, Kendrick, but he he comes out with his first feature and it doesn't get into Sundance. And is there any reason why, or is it just like it just didn't, it just doesn't get in? Just okay because it's but yeah, I mean like people choose and it's a little arbitrary sometimes. Exactly, yeah. and um, but instead of sort of pouting, he kind of almost turned it into like a like a Rudy campaign. <laughs> okay, where, where they announced online he has a large social media presence and a large following under his brand, Illegal Civilization. Yeah. Um, he announced that they were going to do a private screening in LA, uh-huh. um, at the Archlight theaters. Uh-huh. And 
they were going to invite distributors from all over to watch it with a bunch of illegal Civ fans. Yeah, Vince yeah, Vaughn yeah. was going to be there. Miranda, like a bunch of their yeah. Like, so it's kind of like buddies. their own mini film festival, but just for his film. Just for his film, right. exactly. And they would see it in the context of people that love him and love uh-huh. the brand and all the people that were in right. the movie. And that honestly might be even better than like a film festival, right? Because there's like at a film festival, there's your audience is a bunch of like people who don't necessarily know you yeah they're just here to watch the movie but for him like it's gonna be filled with fans yeah and people who are like judging the movie based on like how people react right oh exactly yeah i mean the, it, watching a movie in a theater changes your entire perception of yeah it. so yeah. like these these distributors are probably gonna have to try to watch it outside of the theater to make sure it's still good <laughs> yeah um but it, if people like this are able to leverage their social media following in a time where we're not meeting in person, I think these people are the ones that are going to, they're going to win out of this. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the ones that break out of the pack and they're going to be able to like, they're going to adjust to this new normal. Like other people are going to sink. It's going to sink or swim kind of mentality mm-hmm, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, survival of the fittest. I really hate to say it, but like, <laughs> uh, but people like that, people like a Mikey or um, sort of other filmmakers that have accrued this online following. They're going to be really successful, I think. Yeah. Um, speaking of like movie theaters and stuff, I saw that Universal, because of what's happening in movie theaters, like the rates, the um, attendance rates are like really low, that they're looking to stream their like new premiere releases. Uh, Emma, The Invisible Man, they're all on like VOD right now, video on demand. You can get them like off the internet for like 20 bucks. And so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. Do you think that's also going to be like a new normal? And do you see that as kind of like some people like would might be might call that like the death of theaters or whatever. But I don't know if that's necessarily true. Yeah. I mean, at $20, that's still like a that's still a very prohibitive price. Well, I mean, if you think about it this way, is that if I am like taking my family to see a movie, then I'm take then I'm buying a ticket for myself I'm buying a ticket for like that's my fair. kid or like my other whatever whoever i'm going with so that's like three tickets minimum right that's if fair. i have like that's other family members yeah. that's like you can pay upwards of a hundred dollars to see one film for like your whole family mm-hmm. but if you're at home then you sp- then you like pay 20 bucks and then you just sit down in front of the couch and you watch it for 20 bucks and you can watch it again yeah. right after <laughs> that's true that's very true um that's definitely way cheaper if you have families people who have home theater systems but I'm thinking in terms of like generation like Z, Gen X. Yeah. Like we're not <laughs> millennials are not they don't have home theater systems yeah. normally. Mm-hmm. So like they're gonna be watching on their laptop. Mm-hmm. So if they're craving a different experience, they're just gonna go to a theater. I think I think it's not a system that's sustainable. It might be a system that's sustainable for a couple of years mm-hmm. where you have that audience that is looking for new premieres. Um, but people are gonna still be wanting to Go to the theater. There is like still a resurgence. It's like um like an anti-internet resurgence. I find, in terms of retail as well, because there's like a whole. People are saying like, oh, death of retail, death of retail, etc. Because because of like Amazon and stuff like because that. Because of Amazon and then online shopping, um, is like ruining foot traffic for retail. But, again, it's people that are providing a different experience that you can get online, right. where you have an interactive, um where you have sort of these interactive workers and shop floor workers that can talk to the clientele, provide mm-hmm. them a different experience, um, give them advice, give them style tips, like et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And there's like, maybe it's a cool retail space and experience like Bodega in Boston mm-hmm. where you walk into the theater, I mean, you walk, I theater <laughs> where you walk into the store and it's behind this like hidden 
Coke machine. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's all part of the experience, right? It's all part of the experience. And that's a store you want to go in and walk to. I mean, my friends will go, when we're back in Boston, we'll go like every other weekend. Uh And that's something that maybe theaters are going to have to gear to. They're going to have to provide a different... Kind of service. A different kind of service because just going and sitting in a movie theater, honestly, for me, it's scary. What do you mean? Like sitting in a movie theater? Given, well, I mean, given the context of mass shootings in the right, past exactly. couple years as well, yeah. it's scary. But now you add coronavirus and like, where have these, ca- like, who sat on this couch before me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and they're all felt. Yeah. <laughs> like they just soak up germs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're gross. Unless you have a new movie theater that's leather and yeah. nice and recliny. But yeah. most of the time it's kind of gross. Um, yeah, so movie theaters, I mean, was it not, is it Alamo? Hmm? Whatever house. What's the um, movie theater chain? That it's like you walk into a bar. Uh, oh, it's like Alamo something house. I don't theaters. know. You know what I mean? But those, yeah. those chains, those chains are going to do well, but there needs to be like other competitors yeah. to provide different There was actually a, an article a couple of uh, months ago. Um, I don't know if it was even last like last year where Edward Norton talked about uh, movie theaters and how they're kind of like, not what they're supposed to be. He talked about the brightness of film projection that like they're actually projecting at a very much lower, um, yeah, they're projecting at a very much like lower brightness and it's not the full movie theater experience that you're supposed to be getting because it looks the same as it is on your computer, but it's really not supposed to do that. Right. It's like when you think about going to a theater, you're not really, blown away by the image unless you're watching like an IMAX right you're more blown away by the sound because of like the stu- the quality of the speakers at least that's from my experience I don't know for you but Edward Norton kind of argues in this article that like you know it should be much better because but movie theaters are like skimping out on like electricity bills because like it's very expensive to blow it out at what it's supposed to be yeah that's <laughs> yeah that's very true um that's actually an interesting point. I mean, he talks about in this article. Um, he's like, if I'm going to a movie theater, like you're paying a premium for a better right, experience. Exactly. And it's right now it's not. Yeah, it's not <laughs> at yeah. all. Um, yeah, I, that's I do wonder point. though, the point that we talked about, like for family movies, it's more worth it. And for, um, for other movies that are selling to like a Gen Z kind of audience it's not because 20 bucks versus like a movie ticket is about the same but for a family like it's much more worth it to rent i think i wonder if that's going to change how studios distribute certain kinds of movies right so like it would be worth it to it would be worth it for a consumer to like rent out a family movie so maybe they would put the premiere of that on on like a streaming service whereas they would keep that for like a different kind of movie for Gen Z's. They're keeping it in a more traditional premiere sense. That's true. I mean, um, if there's going to be that much segmentation to market, I think that only provides more opportunities to get movies distributed Mm -hmm. in certain ways. Right. And I think like, for example, like all indie movies would basically be the same as before. Like nobody's going to take their families to go see the green Knight. (laughs) I don't think. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's like watch true. Dev Patel slowly turn into a skeleton. Yeah, yeah I don't think so. You don't want to show your kids that. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Is uh, a Slumdog Millionaire? <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple other things that are switching to streaming, uh, Broadway shows. That's crazy. 
Very strange. Um, there's also the, Franklin, you brought up earlier before we talked on the podcast about those indie filmmakers in Wuhan, China. Oh, yeah. So apparently there's just like a film crew that was trying to make a film in Wuhan and then they just got trapped there because all of a sudden they shut the entire city down and they couldn't get out. So they just decided to like try and document as much as possible what happened. Mm. Um, the film's out right now. It's about like five minutes long. There's not a lot of like interviews or anything. I think it's just more like shots of people trying to survive and trying to live in those like early days of the Wuhan shutdown. Um, I don't know how much like, yeah, I don't know how much uh, info we're getting. Like it's it's not this. I linked it. There's a bunch of like, there's a bunch of like documentary ass kind of things about it. Actually, there's one that I think the BBC did. There's one that like China means mainstream like chinese media did don't know how much you can trust that honestly but it is what it is but um yeah i mean i recommend that you check it out it's about five minutes long and it's a little like hard to find based on just like because of how saturated it is but it's oh, shot very well i think oh yeah like it's way different from what we what you just looked at right the cctn one. yeah exactly yeah the bbc interview yeah oh Wuhan it's called what night. is it called can Wuh- you go back Wuhan the long night i believe yeah yeah, um, Wuhan through a videographer's lens. It almost looks like a sort of like a, a little B-roll cut. Yeah, it's not like a it's full like movie. I would say it's just like solitary. Yeah, very solemn, like architecture and just people walking around. It looks like you know those uh, those YouTubers that like will go to China and do like a fancy cut, like travel edit. Yeah, except like, this one's just sad. Yeah, it's just like it's like they went there and they're like. Oh. Oh no! To convey emotion now. Yeah, this is cool. This is a cool little film. Why they call it a documentary? I guess they are documentary. I mean, yeah, I guess it is a documentary. It's not that in the traditional sense, I guess. Yeah, we'll link this in the show notes below if you guys want to check yeah. it out. Um, yeah, that's Port cool. indie filmmakers. Um, oh, so big news. Um, Tom Hanks. Oh my God! Yeah. Um, shout out my boy. <laughs> yeah, in front of the pod. <laughs> I think he's doing okay. They sent him home after like um he was in the hospital in Australia. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he's doing okay now. Knock on wood. Franklin, you're a graduating senior. <clears throat> yeah. How do you feel about coronavirus as you try to enter the film job market? Um pretty shitty. I think in general like the economy is kind of like bad right now so even as like not a filmmaker yeah it's kind of like a poor time to be entering the job market but what can you do kind of uh, the worst time to enter the job market yeah and should, i don't know go to grad school man Chance gonna <laughs> go to grad school <laughs> i don't know i mean a year is not gonna make that much of a difference i don't think so yeah that's concerning because i graduate next year <laughs> yikes yeah anyway um Anyway, yeah. Um, we got a film this week we want to talk about. Yeah. We want to talk about... It's very timely because you guys should all be social d- distancing. Maybe. Social distancing, self-quarantining, not talking to anybody, and only listening to our podcast. And while you're listening to our podcast, you can look right outside your rear win- window. I was just going to say window, but that's cool. Your rear window. Your Okay. Everyone has two sides of the house to have like... A rear window and a front window. Anyway, it's a film by Alfred Hitchcock. I just think it's a little limited. Directed, written by him. 
architectures like released in 1954 starring james stewart grace kelly wendell corey thelma riddle we don't have to go down the whole fucking cast raymond burr (laughs) there's a lot of characters and none of them have like speaking roles there's a lot of characters it's really just starring james stewart um the home yeah it's barely starring james grace kelly though she's like in and out right is she in it a lot she, I mean, she's in it. Did you not see the movie? I, <laughs> not recently. <laughs> but from what I remember, she's like barely in it. Yeah, she's not a main character, but she's in the movie. Oh no, it's just she's in the movie. It's <gasps> great. It's James Stewart and then Grace Kelly, but it's mostly James Stewart. James Stewart and Grace Kelly. Yeah, in the two-hour-long movie. Yeah. Anyway, it's Rear Window. It's of James Stewart. If you don't know what it's about, it's basically a guy who is a journalist. Played by James Stewart, named L.B. Jeffries, who um, sort of gets stuck in his apartment because he gets in a massive accident on a photo assignment in the Middle East. Um, he's a photojournalist, and he gets hit. A car flips over. Something crazy happens, breaks his leg, and now he's just forced to look out of his window. And for entertainment. For entertainment, and because now that he's a voyeur and he's looking into these lives <laughs> that don't want to be looked in on, he finds trouble. But yeah, this is a film that I watched my freshman year of college. I took a sort of a a foray through Hitchcock's cinema um, filmography. Filmography. I almost said cinematography. No, through his filmography. Yeah. And uh, sort if of you're learned an amateur, you would confuse filmography and cinematography. Not here. Not here. Absolutely <laughs> not. And um, I and that was sort of one of the classes that I really enjoyed throughout my college career um, because. Um, my professor at the time, um, Lee Edelman, um, who also wrote my recommendation to come here. Oh, that's cool. Wait, what college was this, did you say? Uh, Tufts University. Cool. He's, uh, he's a professor at Tufts University in the English department. He also wrote, like, most of the books that I would read for research. That's pretty cool. These classes, yeah. That's lit. Which was really cool. Um, but yeah, he's great in terms of queer cinema studies. Um, He's unbelievable. There's like a, I think he has a rant online that I saw. There's like a, I forget what he's, he's talking about, but he's talking about like either one book. Um, cause I was like Googling him Uh as you do when you're a stupid little freshman. Yeah. yeah, Professors. Yeah. And he has like this one rant and he, I think he's talking about, let me see. Lee Edelman. An interview. Yeah. Queer theory teaches us nothing. (laughs) That's hilarious. It's like a very controversial, (laughs) like one hour long lecture with the IPAC center. Uh, and then, um, someone like tries to roast him in the comments, uh, yeah. about like uh, white exceptionalism. Um, but it's cool. Cause Lee Edelman kind of changed my life low key in terms of how I look at movies. That's so great. today I just want to go over, I guess some, some of the knowledge he passed down to me. Specifically about rear window. Why this class? Yeah. And he like doesn't teach at Tufts anymore. I'm pretty sure that was like one of the reasons. I oh, really? He like kind of does. I think he was doing more personal research. That sucks. And like uh, taking a year off last year. Mm-hmm. So, so what are the themes that you see in Rear Window that were like really interesting that Lee talked about? Yeah, a lot of the themes that uh, come out of Rear Window. I mean, you have voyeurism, which we we've talked about, and it's it's so easy to nail off the bat. But there's mm-hmm. there's so much um, to do with gender relations and masculine identity in this film. It's just like teeming with it. Mm-hmm. Everything down from the the long telephoto lens that right. Jeffries uses that is reminiscent of some sort of phallic object. Yeah. All the way to um the aperture? To yeah, to the aperture. <laughs> to the to the sculptor um who creates this this um 
this sculpture of like what's called hunger and it's like reminiscent yeah. of woman all the way yeah. down to Miss Lonely Hearts who's crying because she can't find a relationship. Right. I mean, everything that he sees through his window is kind of like a reflection of of the possibilities for his relationship that he's going to have with Grace Kelly mm-hmm. um, in her character, Lisa Fremont. She wants to settle down. James Stewart, who's sort of a rogue man, wants to continue going out, flying to different countries on these photo assignments, taking pictures. He doesn't want to settle down. Grace Kelly, she's a very successful, I think, designer or like, no, I think she's an editor at a magazine. Oh, okay, yeah. I thought you meant like a film editor. I was like, she does not. (laughs) No. (laughs) She's a film editor. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, She's in the cut room. And um, no, she's a very successful editor. She has a magazine. She offers to get James Stewart these photo assignments doing portraits right. of different people around the Something city. Something less dangerous, more domestic. More domestic. Not as lackluster. Yeah. Not as exciting. It's just, it's run of the mill. Like he puts the pinstripe suit on. He does mm-hmm. his nine to five. He goes to work. Would you say that it's more um, upscale or like luxurious or like... He'd definitely be making way more money. If you look yeah. at his apartment, it's not... It's not... It's great. It's not great, and 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 you notice that by the juxtaposition of um, right. But Lisa that's not Freeman somewhere that he in. right. But that's and not somewhere that he like spends a lot of time at because he's always like he's moving always around, right? Right. Yeah. He's a he's on the move, and and there's a lot to do with his own agency as a man, being able to go to these different countries without the restriction of a Lisa Fremont or a wife or a kid or a family holding right. him down. There's a lot. It's sort of like a masculine vigor in this the old idea of like a conquistador mm-hmm. um, that's like deep within his own character. I think during the time that this came out, I think it was also um, when television was getting big. And I think a lot of like what he's watching out his window is more reminiscent of television than of films in general. I think that you could... Oh yeah, because it's very like these 2D sets. Because at the time, they were what? Three camera setups, sitcoms. Exactly. You know, they were these very flat. It just looked like they were recording theater at that point. Yeah, and each window can like represent a channel where you see like a different kind of show. He's just flicking in between. And the way that they interacted with it is very similar to how people would interact with television in terms of how they're projecting onto these different characters that they create. Right. And he names them himself, by the way. Mm-hmm. He names... You so know, all these character names in the cast are things that he calls them. That he, things that he calls They're not their actual name. They're not called Miss Torso. Right. They're not called Miss Lonely Hearts. They're not called the Newlyweds. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when Lisa and Jeffries are sitting in the room, you know, looking, gazing out at different people, she's indulging his stupid little fascination with them. Yeah. Um, Jeffries sort of talks about, like, Oh wow! Look, like the two suitors and Miss Torso, who are like kind of mm-hmm. chasing her around. Right. It's like wow, like they're in love with her, or she's. I wonder who she's gonna pick. And she's like, oh, she's not in love with either of them. Like she wouldn't settle down for them. And it's almost like they're they're debating two television characters, like whether or not they would get together or not. Yeah, it's like when you're talking with like your significant other, who you. Right. If you're like watching a show with your significant other and you're like rooting for different characters, it's kind of the same vibe, right? Because you're like, oh, like I want this to happen. And the other's like, I don't really see that in that relationship. And And then then you're you're like, basically just talking about your own relationship. (laughs) Right, exactly. And that's basically what's been going on with this whole movie. Yeah. Um, It's super fascinating stuff. And in terms of projection, all the different channels that he can turn into throughout the entire um, back lot throughout mm-hmm. his entire apartment complex, those are different possibilities that he sees for Lisa Fremont's relationship, like a, just a basically a heteronormative um, domestic relationship. 
or like so the possibilities of, like, of where he can go with Lisa if they get together or if they don't exactly and kind of like the lives of the parts of her life that he doesn't get to see because he's away right yeah and most of them are negative one character yeah I mean you have you have let's start with the people that sit on the fire escape that's like the ultimate arid sexually devoid relationship they right. sleep in sort of this like 69 opposite position where right. it's just where like, like it's head to foot head to foot yeah like they just, just sit in the bed and they're only drawn together now through this like love for the dog love the, yeah love yeah. For the dog so it's just like it's almost like instead of a kid they have a dog right and class, i think class you switch out the kid for the dog to show more how ridiculous that kind of like relationship is yeah right? and if you go down that same building you have lars thorwald and his wife um, which we'll get to later. Um, Lars Thorwald and his wife, Miss Emma Thorwald, and Jeffries really projects onto Lars. But then you go down one, f- uh, one floor more, more, and you have Miss Lonely Hearts, who Jeffries sort of sees as an externalization of what happens if he actually doesn't marry Lisa Fremont. Mm-hmm. Like, what happens to Lisa? What happens to Lisa if, like, he's like, ah, I mean, I want to keep taking pics. Yeah, and, and like, so what would she do? She would go out and try to find. Someone him. else, right? Yeah, she would like reenact what it's like to be on a date with another person, set them a plate, but there's no one really there. Yeah, right. You know, and just really sad stuff. And you also have, you know, to the left of her, also on the first floor, there's the sculpture. She makes the sculpture painting of hunger. And then there's like also the guy in the top right mm-hmm. who is a um, composer. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a pianist and he's constantly playing songs that Jeffrey doesn't like. Coincidentally, the name of the song that he doesn't like is named Lisa, which is pretty fascinating. He doesn't like it until the end. Right. He doesn't like the song until the end. And there's only one good possibility. Which is the newlyweds. <laughs> the newlyweds. And that's because they're having sex all the time. Right. So, all the time. So that kind of represents like what he would get immediately out of this acceptance of Lisa's like offer, right? She's like, oh, settle down with me. And then he'd be like, okay, cool. And they would have sex all the time. That's the <laughs> ideal situation of marriage. Right. For him, at least. Yeah, exactly. And everything else is kind of this, like, almost nightmare scenarios where, you know, people would, like, diverge their paths and he gets to kind of see into, or, like, at least imagine what Lisa's um, life would be like. Exactly. And and there's even a little bit of, like, fright in that relationship. Which with, which relationship? With the newlyweds. Because the the man in the... And the newly wedded couple, he like the only He's time, time you see him not breathe. having sex, he like goes outside to get a breath. Yeah. And she's like, I want more. I still want you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Ooh. <laughs> I don't fucking keep up. Yeah. And so he goes back in and that's like, I mean, Jeffries is still like even at that point, there's still like a lot of male anxiety towards yeah. like if I can even like keep commit, up with this woman. Commit, commit to commit that to level. Him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's very interesting how we connect to characters while also maintaining this um this outward exterior of civility while inside it's like we're kind of insane right i and think maybe a lot film of times just sounds like a lot of anti-hero films just like resonate with us because we have that part in us we have right. that innate desire to be like that person yeah, yeah i think a lot of times films give you that you know license to kind of tap into those parts of yourself and a lot of films are fantasies mm-hmm. in that way where you know, they're a certain kind of like real person pushed to a point and then they become like a part of like a real human's personality 
right? Like a revenge thriller is kind of like, oh, like I can see myself being pushed to that point and then doing that kind of thing, which is why I have empathy for this character or sympathy for this character. Oh, yeah, that's a good point because I mean, a lot of the main tenets you when you're learning filmmaking is like realism and justifiable like cause and effect. Like you can't mm-hmm. have like loose causality right. between things. I mean, that's why things are called melodramas a lot right. of times. Right. It's because the the causality is so loose that it's just like I can't. Like, how did this come about? Like, why, why are you doing this? Why are you Why are you at their house now? All of a sudden, right? And you're gonna propose to her, and you just met her. It right. seems like a right. willful coincidence. Right. And that is like part of, you know, like when you meet someone that you really like. There's a tiny part of you that does that. Right. You want to kill them? No, that like oh. you want to go to their house and propose to them. Oh. <laughs> but, but like, um. I hope she's not listening, King. <laughs> No. I mean, we talk about how the movie is kind of like this tale for the male, right? Like, he sees all his fears. Do you think that can also be reflected in how a woman, as, um, how do you say this? Do you think the film can be seen as a tale of how it reflects women, female fears as well? Because there are, like, all these scenarios that he watches through the windows are scenarios of, like, a female fate rather than like a necessarily male one and the ultimate i think fear for you know like matrimony at least is you end up getting murdered by your husband yeah right like that's yeah yeah, they're unrealistic like he has unrealistic expectations for what like a a solo female life would be without a like domestic male partner Mm -hmm. it's it's really interesting because like especially when it comes to miss lonely hearts it's so unrealistic for him to think that a woman would be so sad that she's mm-hmm. alone mm-hmm. and in her apartment, she's never found a man that she would then go out and act <laughs> dates to right. find some type of fulfillment in them or like maybe practice for when she eventually has one. Yeah. And then she commits suicide at the end because she's so lonely. She's missed lonely hearts. It's ridiculous. <laughs> she killed herself. Yeah. She, she, or she attempts to kill herself. Oh fuck. Okay. Yeah. And no, she doesn't kill herself. <laughs> um, and uh, it's also in terms of like Miss Torso, the fact that she's just like she's in the apartment courting several men at all times, dancing around like a ballerina. They're so, so stereotypically mm-hmm. like, so you don't think like, like, like bad projections of women. So you don't think that it's realistic enough to be a kind of. Uh, reflection of female fears as well. I will say that, I don't know if I can say that, but I will say that it, they're almost um, like the comical nature of how like 2D these projections are mm-hmm. um, almost proves how self-serving his, like... Um, his perception is. Yeah, how self-serving his project perception is because for a woman, for him to like deny woman mm-hmm. and get power from denying woman it has to almost be like a pride in how much they want him and how much yeah. like men want need women to right you know, because, because if you're just like life. denying women and they don't even want you you're just a weirdo <laughs> you're not in the band yeah they, you're just an incel dude yeah. <laughs> no yeah exactly that's what an incel is yeah exactly so um so it's really self-serving for him to think like all these things because like that that women are you know at such a loss for a man that um that like it gives him like a little bit of an ego boost when he does see these these scenarios, but then he goes to perceive 
like we said earlier, he goes to like try to interpret Miss um, Torso with like her two suitors. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I wonder which one she's going to marry. And she's like, she doesn't give a shit about either of them. Like mm-hmm. she's the realistic. Mm-hmm. Lisa is. Le- yeah, Lisa's the realistic one in this situation. Right. I don't know. There's a there's a lot. I like. I really want to like throw us down the rabbit hole and say like, well, like, why is Lisa the, you know, another woman with a clear head that has to you know come in and correct the man? Mm-hmm. I knew this because it's a classic trope. But like, I feel like we just right. I mean, he ends up breaking his other leg, right? Because he debate about it. Right. Yeah. He like doesn't learn his lesson at the end because he ends up breaking his other leg. And she's still right at the end. Right. All of them are right. I mean, like maybe he saved them. Or, like, I think, like, maybe he saved her, but... Or, like, they got the guy, because the wife is still murdered. Right. So, like, he he brought about justice, but because he was projecting his own kind of murderous, ill-intended thoughts? Yeah, what did he gain in the end? <laughs> A broken leg. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get anything. Right. And what did society gain in the end? Yeah, we caught a murderer, but, you know, she died yeah. already. Yeah, it's a kind of, like... And, like, I, they killed the dog, too. Like, he kills the dog. <laughs> There's no, like, the prevention. Dog like, right. scratching at the plot. Yeah, yeah. Where, the the, where, the, where she's buried. Where she's buried. So he kills the dog. So you have two deaths. A I broken get, leg. A broken leg. And uh, uh, a like new a, relationship. A nice song. And a new relationship. And a new relationship. I guess the only thing that he gets out of it is a new relationship. But he gets that through going through this whole idea, like, ordeal. And learning on his second broken leg that, hey, maybe it's not that bad to, to settle be. down with her. <laughs> yeah. So his character arc is just like a little stupid. <laughs> but that's, I guess, kind of like what the film is portraying the man as, right? Like the male figure is just kind of stupid. Yeah, that's true. I don't think it's like a critique on the film. I think it's very intentional that he is this way, the way that he is, like, stubborn, dumb, doesn't learn his lesson the first time with the car, has to learn it the second time when he's saved by Lisa. Yeah, I think the problem that arises with, like, a lot of Hitchcock movies, and he gets, like, a really bad rap for being such a misogynist, um, I think the problem that arises with a lot of these is that he, like, portrays these male characters, like, so unforgivingly accurate. Hmm. And all their dumb little idiosyncrasies and intentions and, and like, poor ethics. <laughs> yeah. Um, and beliefs. Like, so accurate. But in but at the same time, he also will make these characters the main characters, so we are, like, empathetic to them. And, right. like, and a lot of males will relate that actually have those beliefs. Right. These misogynistic beliefs. And it's almost similar to, like, a lot of gangster movies Mm -hmm. where people do worship the gangster while those are a critique of the male kind of like of of like male power and you know hegemony and all that and um it's just interesting how like those are always like the classic guy movies goodfellas is always your favorite guy Mm -hmm. right right your guy's favorite movie right or top gun (laughs) or top gun (laughs) um (laughs) a lot of these like um a lot of these characters tyler durden Right. Um, you know, oh, Ray Liotta's character in Goodfellas, they're like very flawed male characters. Like they're all obsessed with like excess and yeah. like, you know, um, hyper masculinity and like mm-hmm. strength is a source and like brutality is a source of power and, you know. Chaos even. Chaos even. And it's like they're very toxic forms of masculinity. Yeah. But they're worshipped. 
today because they're portrayed so truthfully and they're empathized in the film. Mm. So it's like, it almost brings up a question like, how do you, how do you analyze these topics without being empathetic mm-hmm. to the person that's like doing the actions that we hate? Yeah. You know what I mean? How do, how do you tell that story without, uh, without making it seem like a super t- 2D portrayal of like, don't do this, like respect women, yeah. like whatever. Cause like that point doesn't get across as well as the exciting excitement. Right, because then you're preaching, right? Then you're preaching. Yeah. You have to mix the medicine with the food. That was a quote I got online the other day. I don't think it's food. I think it's sugar. It might be sugar. I don't know. The guy said mix the medicine with the food. What are you eating with medicine? I don't know. Hot dogs and hot dogs and cough syrup. I don't know. <laughs> what are you? What are you, What are you gonna rate Rear Window? What's What's your um, thing? Um. I mean, all Hitchcock movies are great. I would tentatively give it an eight right now, but if I rewatch it, I might go higher. Okay. I have. I get Rear Window. A nine. Yeah. I just had. I think it's a great film. I think if you look at it now, considering that we know all the things, all the themes, it's a little on the nose. That's what I like about Hitchcock, though, is that he is on the nose, but it's done in like all these different aspects of filmmaking that it kind of like. It adds layers to the argument. Yeah, I think so. Because he's using music, right? And he's using like actors and he's creating these characters very specifically to mm. do this kind of thing that it kind of like and on top of it it's a good murder mystery movie yeah so like there's a lot of like filmic gimmicks that come along with think of rope ropes one shot movie uh, he doesn't even like rope he doesn't like rope no rope's he a hates decent rope. movie i i, I, I kind of like rope i think it's a fun movie yeah but i understand where he's coming from that he's like i don't know why i did that the acting sucks <laughs> yeah it's there's that so guy bad. who looks like ben affleck yeah, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the other main guy. Yeah, that's annoying. I don't know this this movie though. Um, I think it's definitely up there for like, you know, top three for me. Birds mm-hmm. is my favorite. Really, Birds. Birds. I think Birds is really good. I well, that was also like the last film that we watched in this course, and, uh-huh. and it made sense as a culmination of all the th- arguments that he was making in the course. In the course, in it, and it hit so much harder had you seen all the previous Hitchcock films. Interesting. And because them. standalone, Birds is kind of weird. Birds is kind of a weird <laughs> movie standing alone. Yeah, honestly, it makes zero sense. But there's a lot of subtext there. There's mm. a lot of arguments of. Um, is it also like a gender movie? Of or? like punishment against women, male's punishment against women, uh, and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Because um, the birds are like little penises. <laughs> no, it's all... Maybe I should take this course. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should. <laughs> no, my top three Hitchcock movies are, um, I think, Vertigo, yeah. and then Psycho, and then maybe Rear Window. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'm going to be honest with you, fam. Never seen Vertigo? Never seen Psycho. You've never seen Psycho, but I've I know I know you don't like it because you're like you're like oh I get the gimmick now and it's kind of like a movie. Yeah, <laughs> but I think you're wrong. I don't know. I think dude. even if you know the gimmick, I think it makes it better. No, it's there's a lot to be said in that movie in terms of like you know, Hitchcock always had a fascination with like mother son relationships, mm-hmm. and I think that there's nothing more true. There's nothing more on trial in that movie than a mother son relationship. But for me, I'm just like. I don't know. I like the idea of killing a protagonist like 60 minutes into the movie. That's kind of cool. That's it's 45, tight. but yeah. 45, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> 60 minutes is an hour. <laughs> That's two-thirds of the movie. <laughs> I don't I don't. I don't care for it, honestly. Yeah. I don't care for it that much. I get the hype. I get the hype. A lot of Hitchcock's movies, you have to look at them from 
the time they were made. I agree. And you can't just judge them because he's influenced so much of what we've seen today. Because then if you go back and you watch a Hitchcock movie, mm-hmm. his shit seems cliche. Yeah. From the perspective of someone like us who's growing yeah. up with like all, you know, all the I mean, of history ever. We're watching all the new stuff. And we're going back and seeing his stuff. Yeah. I think like, it's cliche. <laughs> no, the stuff that you're seeing now is cliche because he's done it before. Yeah. I think Psycho is more, much more than just like that one gimmick. Yeah. Unlike Rope. <laughs> yeah. Rope is just like, oh, one 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 shot. Mm-hmm. But like Psycho has a lot of great acting and has a lot of great direction and cinematography. Yeah. I think it does like a lot of cool things with just like um what you think of like a story is in general and like plot plot tropes and like putting twists on that and stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Alright, so um it's kind of our rating. Um, yeah. Want to talk about what we're watching this week? Yeah, sure. To wrap it up, um, real quick, bef- um, before what did I we- watch? I watched the uh, a Roman Polanski movie. <laughs> What'd I you know, watch? bad, but <laughs> it's fine. I watched uh, Tenant. Tenant. Yeah, it's kind of about like is that the new one. No, 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 no. That's Christopher Nolan. Oh, so <laughs> this is an old one called Tenant. Okay. It's about this guy. It's kind of like a ghost story ish. It's a horror movie. Oh, it's this? very similar to like Rosemary's Baby, but it's about this like guy, Polish guy, who moves into this uh, Parisian apartment, and he's trying to settle in, and the person that lived in his apartment previously killed herself, and so now he's just like trying to like be comfortable in that environment and all the like weird shit that happens to him in this apartment complex oh. and it's about and he's like polish and so it's about like i think part of it is about how polanski views paris and moving there right which is which is like kind of funny when you think about the circumstances of why he had to move to france yeah because he's a rapist so it, you kind of like <laughs> like when i watched it i was like i mean yeah i guess like if you read it as like autobiographical it's kind of like not that bad it's kind of hilarious actually what's happening to this guy because he does get tortured a lot and you're like well maybe he deserves it i don't know (laughs) and there's a lot of like and the main character is like a little bit of a sexual deviant in maybe the most traditional sense of the word what do you mean by that like if he's not adhering to very traditional values but he's like by today's standard he's probably fine Oh, okay. Yeah. But gotcha. like yeah. Word. This week he has I a watched, lot of guilt. This week. I only watched one one movie this week. I watched Big Time Adolescence. Oh, you actually watched that? I did. It was actually it was it was Dece. Mm, I was gonna watch it, but I was like, uh, I could watch something else. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Big Time Adolescence is directed by Jason Orley and it's starring uh Jeremy No, that's a producer. It's starring Pete Davidson. <laughs> Uh, it Jeremy Pete Renner and Griffin Gluck, who is Griffin Gluck, is the kid from what's it called? He's his the last ki- name is Gluck. Yeah, he's the kid that from sucks. American Vandal. Wait, which one? The first season. He's like the he's the director of the movie. Like he's the head oh. of the AV club. That's hilarious. Wait, I love that guy. Yeah, no, he's crazy good. In it. Oh, 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 oh. He's no, he's the best friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's nineteen. If you didn't know, which is kind of weird. Still nineteen. Like if you think about it, this, kid's a sophomore in college. That's so weird. What the fuck? I know, right? Like a year behind me. Yeah. Um, he looks like twelve. Yeah. <laughs> he literally plays a middle schooler in this. Um, but yeah, the movie's just about uh, the logline is a drug dealing college dropout becomes a mentor to his best friend, a straight laced teen who idolizes him. It's pretty funny. I'd say 
Honestly, though, the film really gets carried by Pete Davidson's performance and his comic delivery. Dude, he's good. He's really funny. Would you say that he's a good actor? I would say he's a great actor. I'd say his as a com as a comedic actor. Comedic actor. Very funny because like like a a lot of the writing's kind of cringe. Like uh, it's very like classic high schooler. Like he like. Griffin like Gluck. um like super bad kind of thing or is it like it's like it's like super bad like watered down uh it's like okay. an it's a rated r movie but like or like a michael Sarah kind of thing it's like you could watch it with your parents if you're 14 uh, i see okay okay yeah yeah I, I get it yeah you know um but pete davidson's comic delivery is like really good um griffin gluck's main character he has this best friend who like essentially like he becomes a drug dealer Pete Davidson, because Pete's like, yo, you should sell my drugs at your party. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. he was like, why would high schoolers ever want to buy drugs at a party? He's like, he's like, what? He's Are like, high schoolers about? wanting to buy drugs at a party? He's like, call me crazy. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and then he just becomes like literally this like dealer for all these senior parties. And he has his best friend who like admits to him that he's never had sex before in like a very <laughs> cliche high school way. Yeah. Um, and then he. And then Pete Davidson immediately just wants to get him laid. Is that the plot of the movie? No, no, and then he wants to start dating this other girl, and Pete gives him, like, really douchebag advice. He's like, uh-huh. yeah, you should just, like, get really into her. He's like, text her every day, ask her how she's doing, call her. And one day, ghost her. Pull back. <laughs> she's going to be all over you. And then he does that, and, like, it ruins the relationship. Yeah, right? well, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. I I wouldn't give, I think I gave the movie, like, three stars or something, just because of the, like, Three any, out of what, five? Three out of five. No, not out of ten. Anytime the movie... Um, because anytime the movie didn't have Pete, I was like, oh. Anytime the movie didn't have Pete and Griffin wasn't like talking a lot, mm. I was like, I'm fucking out of here. You know. What uh, I mean? what has the director done other than that? It might be his first one. It's actually it was written and directed by him. Oh, it seems like a first movie. He was an actor in the Intern. He's known for his what? work on the Intern. What is the Intern? The Intern with um, what's it called? That was the one with um. Robert De Niro. Bro, I don't know this movie. You don't know this where Robert De Niro is a 75-year-old intern? No. Yeah, it's in Anne Hathaway's his boss. That's so dumb. I know, it's really stupid. But he's like, uh, he, yeah, he directed Pete Davidson's TV Dude, special. Dude, Robert De Niro did the intern. There's no way he cancels Tribeca. <laughs> he follows through. <laughs> <laughs> I think that actually got decent reviews. Out of all oh, the, that's hilarious. Out of all the weird De Niro movies that have come out. Yeah, like, uh, what's the other one? Like, the weird grandpa one? Yeah, because he's going through his Ben Stiller phase right now. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Where he just does awful yeah. movies. And yeah. Like, The Irishman. Ew. No, I'm kidding. Damn, canceled. Um, But, but yeah, dude. Pete Davidson's in a lot of, a lot of movies now. He's in Angry Birds 2. This King of Staten Island. Coming out in 2020. Jesus Rolls, which already came out. What's that movie that was like coming out a while ago about Matthew McConaughey teaching his son how to deal drugs, but he was kind of like a grimy dad? Do you know what I'm talking about? I have no idea. All right, just never mind. <laughs> <laughs> we have a uh, we have a couple movie list suggestions. Um, first off, we're gonna start off. Uh, Jonah Hill just came out today. With, oh, well, uh, this is because coronavirus is happening, so there's nothing else to do except to sit inside and, and watch, watch movies. movies. So everyone's throwing their list out there, and here's. Ours, but we'll start with Jonah Hills start. because we're start with we Jonah Hill. This yeah. is on GQ, and uh, so he, he gave like twenty movie picks. It's pretty good, honestly. I would go check it out. I like Jonah Hill as a film buff. He he kind of knows his shit. He's like really obsessed with you know Scorsese, so I think he's trying to go in that same brand direction. Mm-hmm. So he talks about you know there's some good movies on there like Shampoo. What is Shampoo? The Birdcage. Come on, bro. You don't know Shampoo? 
No. I've never used moonlight, that before in my life. Those moonlight on there. What's moonlight? Do the right thing. God. Rat catcher. <laughs> Pop star. <laughs> Dude. Pop star is the Lonely Island Andy Samberg movie. <laughs> Barry Lyndon. I love that juxtaposition. Do you Pop like. Pop star is 14 and Barry, and Barry Lyndon is 15. Do you like Barry Lyndon? Never seen it. Oh, you should. Yeah. Well, now I can. Uh, three books that he suggests are Barbarian Days, Life Isn't Everything by Mike Nichols and Kazin on directing. Um, Barbarian Days actually have that it's on my bookshelf. It's right there. See? By William Finnegan. Oh yeah. Have you read it? Um Or is it just decoration? No, that's like an aspirational book I have on my wall. Honestly, I'm I'm gonna probably pick it up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> the lies we tell ourselves. I've had that book for a Dude, you know how long. everyone's like, Oh, I'm gonna be self quarantined, I'm gonna get so much done, I'm gonna be so productive. I've woken up at 12 every day. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think people are going to be that productive. No, I don't think so either. I think some people are, and some people just generally aren't. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like They're that. like, yeah. Anyway. What's really crazy, I guess, about this whole thing is just like a couple of weeks before this all went down and our school closed, I was like, dude, why is there like, what is the point of like going to school and like doing all this shit and like going to work every day? Like... Just, like, stay home and, like, do something. And now we yeah. are. <laughs> and, like, the whole world is. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of insane. And people are falling apart. Yeah. You you think about, like, summer vacation is, like, kind of like a vacation for everybody at the same time. That never happens. That never happens. You're right. I wonder if that's going to be, like, a thing where, like, oh, you know, it's okay <laughs> to do that. Like, we don't have to, like, show up every day. Like, you it's chill to, to like, yeah, it's chill to chill. Because I feel like sometimes it's hard to like gain that perspective you know something to break the equilibrium up yeah all right well we have our own movie list as well oh yeah right check that out on letterbox we have a new letterbox account it's called snub it's called snub we got the handle at snub i don't know how we did it <laughs> snag that snub up what the fuck snag that snub up <laughs> <laughs> anyway go follow us we'll put a link in uh in the show notes and in the description wherever you're listening to this too um go follow we have a list of all um movies you should watch during quarantine which include our favorite tom hanks movies because he's gonna die soon so oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. cherish him <laughs> while you can yeah um so yeah give it a check what do we have on the list frank that you you were making we have the shining because we love being trapped inside with yeah. our family we have um you can pull it up we have saving private ryan because well, if you've seen it, you know why. We have Philadelphia, if which is another Tom it. Hanks movie. That's um, if you've seen it, yeah, you know why. You know why. And then we have uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Weird pick, I know, but it's got like great scenic views. And if you're missing the outdoors and yeah. Iceland and traveling, just give it a watch. Go for it. Spa- <laughs> splash around. Watch it in the bathtub. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what it's we a got. wet movie. That's what we got on the list. Um, so give it a give it a go again. Link in the description. All right. So that's uh that's pretty much all we oh, got this week. Oh, and her. Oh, what? hers on it because this is a great time to fall in love like, with your phone. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Ask Siri out on a date. See yeah. what she says. Okay, dude. Want to wrap it all up? Right. Stay safe. Be clean. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Don't touch your old people's face. Don't cough on old people. No, don't. Wash your hands. Wash your feet. Don't forget to wash your feet in this time. <laughs> looking at looking at you white people. What? <laughs> Was with the feet. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, stay away from old people. Don't go outside if you don't have to. Watch our movie list. Listen to our podcast. Share it. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. We're, we're glad to be back. This is going to be a normal thing. Yeah, we'll try to do weekly because um, 
it's quarantine time. No better time to be recording, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Time to make that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cut that if you want it, Avi. <laughs> Alright, guys. We'll catch you another time. Peaces. Bye. You have just finished listening to Snubbed.